Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on From Lab to Launch. I'm Amanda from Qualio. I'm stepping in for Kelly today, and it's a delight to be with you. If you haven't already, please subscribe and give us a review on Apple or Spotify. We'd love that, and it helps people find the show. If you want to be on the show, please see the application linked in the show notes. We've had many entrepreneurs reach out, and we love connecting with you. Joining us today, we have Shou Chao. Shou grew up in China and earned his computer science degree from the top engineering university in India, the Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. In 2013, he moved to the U.S. to pursue his master's degree in computer science from the University of Southern California. He's now the co-founder and chief technology officer of Moving Analytics, a digital health company that reduces the chance of a heart attack through digital cardiovascular disease prevention programs. They work with a multidisciplinary team of cardiologists, nurses, nutritionists, and exercise physiologists to create personalized rehab programs for heart attack patients, which they can access anywhere through their mobile phones. Personalized medicine and mobile healthcare have the potential to help millions who may be outside the reach of traditional treatment avenues. Moving analytics, personalized programs cut the risk of a second heart attack in half while doubling the likelihood that a heart attack survivor will live beyond five years. Check out our show notes to find additional info about moving analytics and learn more about Shuo. Let's bring him in. Hey, Shuo, welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation. Well, we love to learn about our guest backgrounds and yours is really impressive. You mm -hmm. recently were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in life science. Of course. You know, you know, I, as you know, I grew up in China and, you know, I did actually my bachelor in, in China and I have the chance to exchange to India where I studied at IT Madras, where I met my co-founder Harsh there. And then during that time, I think I should come to the U.S. And I mean, I'm attracted by, you know, all the knowledge and science and technology in the U.S. And then I decided to come to U.S. And I come to the U come to USC to study for my master's degree and meet Harsh again, which is my co-founder. I meet another co-founder here as well a day. And during that time, we just, you know, want to do a startup together. Also, you know. We, we follow probably the life science, uh, especially house car track is what, where we want to go for. And that's when we started working and it just, you know, keep going until this point. Cool. But what attracted you to the life sciences to combine that with your background in engineering? The reason I go for engineering, because I think for me, I feel it's more innovative that you can create a lot of things that other people can, you know, can use. Either you build a hardware or you write a software. That's something you can easily, you know, propagate and thousands, millions of people can use in, in, in half a year or a year. You can, you know, achieve that scale. That's really fascinating. And, but at the same time, you know, just doing the engineering alone is not enough. You want to apply that into, you know, real life. And life science and the healthcare, that one track that I think that's definitely making enough impact in people's life. That's why, you know, we, we're going for that, that direction. Yeah, that's absolutely a place you can have a huge mm -hmm. impact. It sounds like mm -hmm. uh, that was a, a big motivator for you. That's really cool. You're a founder and the CTO of Moving Analytics. Tell us the story about starting Moving Analytics and what challenges you've solved for along the way. So, yeah, it's a lot challenging than we initially thought. 
Uh, we started actually when at USC when we all in the, you know working in a lab and we just have the idea we want to build some application to help one to act to you know exercise more. Basically, it's more like similar to a pedometer where you you track steps and and how many you know calories you burn by you know walking every day by having a smartphone. At that time, the smartphone just become a trend. Everyone started getting a smartphone. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of exercise tracker kind of application out there. That's we where we started. And, uh, you know, we help people to track their activity. Also, if they sit too long, we will give them a reminder saying, hey, you know, you should stand up and take a walk instead of sitting too long. And, uh, you know, we started there, but, you know, we was super struggle at the time, to be honest, because at that time, Although we are kind of still early in the market, but there are already some big players out there. Nike is building something, Fitbit is building something. And it's hard for us as a startup to compete with them. And also it's hard to gain profit at that time because, you know, we have to just make it free and everyone, you know, use it hard to, you know, gain revenue that way as well. And then we will struggle on, on that. And then I think it, it just came to us that Actually, we can apply the same technology in, in cardiac rehabilitation. And it was introduced by one of, of our doctor friends from uh, Stanford. And, and she is really into, you know, using mobile app to increase the accessibility of um, cardiac rehabilitation at home. And that's where, you know, we want to just go that direction. I think we think that's definitely make enough impact in people's life. Also something, you know, we can make profit out of there as well. So, you know, we basically spend almost, I think one and one half a year just doing the, the initial pedometer uh, product. And then once we interact with this doctor, we start shifting and pivot to this a new direction, which goes a long way here. So yeah, I think that's the most struggle thing that we have ever experienced. Of course, there's other things, you know, you build the product and the customer say, hey, this is feature is not they want what they want. They want the other thing and things, things like a back and forth, there's quite a struggle there as well. But in terms of the biggest struggle, I think, yeah, that's the pivot that we did is probably the, the biggest one. Yeah, but it sounds like you really tackled it in a smart way by kind of staying really focused and narrowing in on that, the healthcare side of that. We're glad we can focus on that. We made that decision years back and keep focusing on that and uh, until now. Smart. <laughs> so you've raised almost $12 million and partnered with Stanford and other high profile organizations like the Mayo Clinic and the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. What's your approach to partnerships and funding? It seems like your strategy is going really well. The way we do it is we, you know, my co-founders are all intelligent people and also, you know, all of our teammates as well. So we, you know, spend some time building initial product and we get some in your introduction from one of the house care organization. I think the first one that got introduced was NYU at the time, NYU House Center. And with that initial customer lining up and initial product ready, uh, that's where we uh, went out to reach out to investor to close our initial funding at that time. And that helped us to keep the product development and customers uh, all reach going. And then I think it reached a milestone where our product is kind of mature and we know what's the workflow for different type of customer that we interact with. 
And that's when we reach out to investors again, that, you know, we feel this product is something that we can just keep using and keep improving and can be easily duplicate the same business model to other customers. And we want the, the funding to help us strengthen our product at the same time, just help us to make the sales team stronger to be able to, you know, make our voice heard by more and more customers. That's why we, you know, reach another round of funding and to keep us growing. Um, some good news that we recently raised another uh, round of fund uh, and the detail uh, is going to come soon. So just you guys going to be happy to hear the news soon. Oh, we got a little sneak peek. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any tips for a potential founders around things to think about while they're looking for VC funding? I think a couple of things, right? And the first thing is what I just said. Of course, if you just have the idea or some investor want to invest you, that'd be great. But the reality is most of the investor will want to see you, you know, have some certain product and landing some potential customer. I'm talking about the initial, you know, funding that if they want to, to raise. Uh, and and uh, that's the investor want to see. You have a kind of a product that can demo. It doesn't have to be, you know, have detailed feature that every feature that you want to build, but it should have at least the MVP, the minimum viable product that, you know, as long as can do the work that you say it can do, that's good enough for the investor. And if you also have a, a potential customer showing interest, even just a letter of intent, or if you have a contract, that's even better. I think that's a good time point to reach out to investors to ask for funding and, and, and tell them, hey, this is a real thing. You know, it's going to go big because, you know, we already have a you know product and we have customer lining up, but we need the funding to keep us growing. That's what investors would like to, definitely would like to see that. And I think second aspect is you probably want to time your fundraising as well. Usually, you know, if you're a small team or a big team, it doesn't matter. You always want to think about fundraising or start your fundraising something like at least six months. You have a runway that you have to make sure that means if you think about fundraising, you probably want to start, you know, 12 months so that you have funding raised uh, when you have six months runway. You don't want to wait too long. You should always keep your, you know, how do I say, your balance in your bank that be able to support the team going for another six months at any given time. If you feel, oh, in next, it's going to run out in 12 months, then you should start thinking about fundraising and, you know, close that fundraising before the six months mark. Because if the six months mark reach and you still don't have enough funding to keep your team going, then you're going to start panic and, you know, the team going to get dot their self as well. It's not good for the business and not good for the team. So definitely, you know, start preparing. You don't have to go all out at early stage that, for example, 18 months out, all, you know, you don't have to tell them, hey, I want to raise like $5 million or $10 million right away. You can start small by saying, hey, uh, you know, we reach out to the investor saying like, we're thinking to raise funding soon. What do you think, you know, when we should get the funding or what the size we should get? Ask for advice from investors instead of ask for money. Uh, that's what, you know, people usually say. When you ask for advice from an investor, they invest you. When you ask for money from an investor, they just give you advice. So, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So that's some, I, I think it's something really true for us as well. You know, we usually start, you know, just reach out and ask for advice. And once we get to different, you know, we ask different investors for advice and they give us a sense like our next round gonna, how large it should be and when we should risk that. And then as we collect that information, um, then we consolidate our proposal for the fundraising. And then we reach out to uh, them again, or uh, other investors with more solid data points. And th that gives us a better chance to, of closing the funding other than just upfront, you just, you know, make up some like number of serve and ask for that amount of money. Yeah. So yeah, that's some strategy probably going to work for, yeah. Those are great tips. Yeah. I love yeah. the ask for Asking for advice, always be talking to people and reaching out. And of course, a lot of people are really generous, especially the investor that they're also looking for good companies. They love to give you advice. So yeah, that's something somewhere you want to get started with and get the connection with the investors. And once you make progress, they, because they already know you, they may just put a, you know, five million bucks in your bank account. So yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a nice thing to wake up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've spoken about mobile health and telehealth being the future of healthcare. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about why you think that and what trends you see that support it? Even before the pandemic, we saw that as a trend. And I think that pandemic thing definitely validates further our point of view. I think uh, with the popularity of mobile phone yeah, as like six, uh, seven years ago, I think people more and more start thinking about home-based care in general, not just cardiac rehab that we do. I think in general, a lot of care want to shift to telehealth in the sense of, it, you know, carry, cover the more time, 24-7 even, for the patient rather than just the, you know, small time window that they spend in the hospital. I, I mean, think about how much time they spend in the hospital compared to how much time they spend at home, then you will realize how important the home's uh, telehealth care going to be important, how important they are to the patient. And uh, and that's why, you know, we, we think we want to be the pioneer uh, there to kind of lead the wave to, you know, uh, help people to get better care at home, uh, if not 24-7, but at least, you know, whenever they be able, be, they are available, they can use our app to take care of themselves. Then the pandemic hit and everyone, you know, it's hard to go to hospital anymore. And that just, you know, as I said, just strengthen our point of view that a lot of care has to be done at home. And uh, people just start don't not willing to go to the hospital anymore. In terms of a cardiac rehabilitation, there it's the option of they can go to the rehab center, you know, three times a week for 12 weeks for their rehab. But when the, with the pandemic, it's just not possible <laughs> because all the health protocol, all the all stuff, you know, and, you know, a lot of customers of ours that, you know, they used to provide their patients with center-based cardiac rehab. Now they reach out to us and help them to build a home-based cardiac rehab program because they still want to offer the care, but they cannot do it in-house. And, you know, that's where we shy, I guess, <laughs> and help the, the patients to be able to do that at home. Uh, on top of that, not just the pandemic, and overall, I think there is a trend that people not want willing to spend that much time to to the hospital because it's just hustle to schedule appointment and go. And in terms of cardiac rehabilitation, as I said, they have to go three times a week for twelve weeks straight, and also during work days. 
And it's super hard for, you know, patients to schedule that time three times a week and also during working hours. And usually the rehab center are uh, located really far away from their home. They probably have to drive whatever, you know, something like that. It's not as many rehab centers available as hospitals. So it, they usually have to drive a long way and three times a week. That's quite a, you know, commitment there. And like, that's why the drop-off rate is really high for cardiac rehab center program. And that's, you know, where we play that, you know, coming to play that, you know, if they use our program, they can just do cardiac rehabilitation at home with the instruction from, you know, the care team. And, and you know, they can do it anytime they, based on their schedule, is to help the cardiac rehab center schedule. So that that's something amazing for, for the patient. And that's why they also like, like our product. I think that's in general, I think that reflect to anything in telehealth that, you know, patient if they had a headache, they won't just ask the doctor online, right? Instead of having to schedule appointment, right? The time efficiency is there and the uh, e effectiveness and the coverage of the time frame of the care also there. So I think that those are the key points that, you know, why we think telehealth and remote care are the, the future. Uh, it's going to be even getting better cares in the future with home care. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like that's also, it's totally a win-win for clinicians and patients, because I also know that clinicians spend a lot of time thinking about and caring about and trying to, sometimes they're put in the place where they need to help people set up transportation. And again, transportation is also just a huge hurdle for a lot of patients, especially people in rural areas. Something we don't think about all the time in <laughs> terms of healthcare. Yeah, that's, that's great. How can mobile health impact high density countries like China and India, for example? I think it's a great opportunity there. You know, high population density, they're still facing the issue as, you know, the healthcare system resource is actually not enough, you know, for the high density population there. For example, in China, where I come from, you know, people just line up. <laughs> you have to live out of the hospital for hours to even get a schedule for the doctor for the day. I mean, a lot of uh, people just struggle for that. They probably have to wake up like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to just line up outside the hospital before the hospital open. And, and so you can, they can make sure to be able to meet the doctor for the day because they have some open slots, you know, by in-person appointment, right? So they just want to grab that chance. But even that, just even there's a lot of health resources there, but it's just not enough. <laughs> not enough with the high population density there. I think where the mobile uh, care, you know, coming to play is with mobile care, you know, of course, patient be able to do all the consultants uh, online directly and, and without have to personally make the appointment. And secondly is a lot of people who go to the hospital, they actually doesn't have the serious symptom that as they thought they may just have a headache. They say, oh, there's a big thing. They have a good hospital because they don't know what's happening. They don't get a triaged, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, any patient have anything to them to go to hospital. And then that's not a optimized way of using the healthcare resource, I think. And with mobile house, mobile care, patient can, you know, ask the preliminary question online directly and you know it doesn't have to be expert or you know a doctor with 20 years or 30 years of experience to answer a question it can be just you know 
a new grad a doctor to, you know, to help you triage you. That's good enough. And, and that's, you know, be able to triage your uh, thing, your, your condition and tell you, you know, a small thing that you can just take care of yourself, drink some more water. All you should seriously think about go to the doctor, schedule appointment. And by doing that in the high density population area, I think it definitely going to improve, you know, the, the efficient healthcare system that the patient have small newness conditions can just stay at home and take care of themselves. And someone that have more serious conditions, potentially be a serious conditions, can go to the doctor at the advice of the, you know, the mobile health care manager. So yeah, yeah. I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of startup founders that listen to the show. From your experience, what are some of the tech requirements to consider when launching a healthcare startup? I think that the healthcare startup is a little bit different than other tech startup. In the sense, I think other tech startup more going for cutting edge technology and building the fancy feature all stuff. But for healthcare uh, technology uh, startups, I, I think the focus more on uh, security and uh, compliance. And, and once that achieved, then it's more like what feature build out stuff. That's not something that, not only is that something that really, uh, every startup should focus on the security and compliance. Also, there's a government requirement, something called a HIPAA compliance. That's literally, you know, if you don't follow that and there's information, get this uh, patient information, get this close, you may get yourself into trouble because the U.S. government going to, you know, come after you if you don't take care of good care of the security side. And also, you know, is if you don't take good care of the securities, I don't see that, you know, you're taking good care of your patients, right? So I think that's the commitment you have to make, uh, you make at the be- very beginning. And you have just have to do your own research, how to secure your product, your server. And uh, I just reach out to some security expert and whoever have done the security practice for, you know, tech startup, you should consult them and ask for advice and then, you know, secure your products the same way as other people secure them. And then I think that's the first thing you're good to go. And after that, you're, you're good to go to start building features you, you want to build. And uh, that's the major difference and definitely some advice for the startup founders. Yeah, that's great advice. That's a really good point. So if you could go back and tell yourself something at the start of your career, what would that be? If I go back, I definitely I'll tell myself, uh, I study a lot when I was in college and also at the beginning of our startup stage, I experienced a lot of different technologies. Now I have the knowledge. If I you would know that upfront, so I definitely will tell myself, you know, I, what tech stack or what, you know, architecture I should choose uh, <laughs> and how to build a product. That's one thing. And the second thing is uh, regarding the business model, we were having some detour that we were not thinking of. And that and the one that I told you, we were doing a pedometer at that time and the things like that. That's something we definitely can avoid and save the time. Even like when our business keep running well and growing, we also have some, you know, blockers where we're experiencing the business model. The business model was not perfect and we, you know, facing some resistance from our, some of our customers at the beginning as well. That's something we can avoid as well. Like in the sense of we were reaching out to hospital to pay us to use our product, but it turned out to be not a good way. And we just shifted the emphasis to reach out to provider, which is, you know, insur- insurance companies to make us be, be reimbursable 
And that's a lot, a lot of problem now that once that reimbursement is there, it's easier for us to make revenue and grow our business. That's, I think, another thing that I want to tell my, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago myself that, you know, if you know that you should already reach out to the peers at the beginning, things like that. I think those are the things that I want to tell myself. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a good point. So before we wrap up, we like to ask all of our guests, where can people go to learn more, follow along and connect with you? I mean, if you guys want to connect, feel free to, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can search my full name, Xiao Chao. Uh, and use the keyword Moon Analytics, you definitely found me there. Um, and that's the most, pl- I don't use other social network that much. So I think that's the best way you can reach out to me. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for the time, Amanda. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.